The thing that's difficult about IVF is that you're going through the, is this going to be successful before when most women even know they're pregnant. You're listening to Good Is In The Details. I'm your host, Gwendolyn Dolsky, and this time I'm going solo. This is the podcast where we learn what we didn't know, we didn't know in the spirit of Socrates. And this is the third part of a mini series that I started in season one. Now, at the time of this recording, I was about seven months pregnant, and I was very much interested in how do you maternity, because I realized that there is so much missing in our education, especially in sex education. We talk about the egg and the sperm, and then all of a sudden, boom, the baby's born. But what about the process of pregnancy? And so I packed up my laptop and my microphone, and I headed out for a lovely conversation over to Dr. Kate Madoran to talk about her experience. And we discuss the emotional reality, the physical reality, the medical reality of getting pregnant, going through that pregnancy, and then also some questions about C-sections, how you treat yourself after. I'm really grateful for the conversation. I don't think that this is just for women. I think that the woman's body is left out of the equation for a lot of discussions. I mean, it completely rearranges itself. And I found myself trying to figure out how to be in the professional life, going on campus, teaching classes with this radically changing body. And then at the same time, I was high risk. And so I was going to doctor's appointments and always being warned. You can do this, you cannot do that, be careful. And I really needed some guidance. And here is Dr. Kate Madoran on How Do You Maternity, part three. Dr. Madoran, I want to know about the process of becoming pregnant for you. What was your work schedule like at the time when you were trying to get pregnant? This was a challenge for us in many ways, not only because we couldn't get pregnant naturally. But then I'm a surgeon. My day starts early. There's not a lot of flexibility. It's generally something people try and do privately, but there are many, many appointments when you need to have assistance with getting pregnant. I was lucky because professional courtesy, I stayed with physicians in my area to help Mm -hmm. me and they would make sure I was first appointment of the day. But it took a lot of moving things around and involving my office staff to make sure I made appointments. At what point did you realize this was an avenue that you wanted to take or that you needed to take if you wanted to have children? I think I always suspected we would end up down that pathway. Mainly because I had a family history of infertility and I didn't actually have anything definably wrong with myself, but I knew that we weren't going to be trying to start a family until I was completed with residency and I would be 34, going on 35. Mm -hmm. So I always knew it was a possibility, maybe a likely possibility, but I was also married for a very long time earlier and we sort of rolled the dice with regards to pregnancy and nothing ever happened so that was also a pretty good sign that when we actually started trying it it might not happen what is the process of IVF how does it even start over the age of I'll just start with over 35 because that's that's where I was at um they give you six months of trying to conceive before you should see an infertility specialist because at that point Time's ticking and it can on average take years to get pregnant once you start the infertility process. And so 
at 35, you don't want to waste time. So after six months, usually people get in to see someone. So wait, so at first they say, you guys do this on your own? Yeah. And then, okay, for six months and then... Yeah, and I was sort of left with the same process of, I think, probably Googling what the best way to get pregnant naturally is, talking to friends, you know, things like that. (laughs) Okay. Um, But I I always sort of expected that we were going to end up needing to go somewhere so <laughs> wait hold yeah, on one second I know <laughs> Rocco come on buddy come here come here come here okay buddy he wants to be on your podcast all right come on come on buddy. all right you know you have to go through the workup there's a lot of ultrasounds invasive procedures making sure that you know, hormones are right anatomically everything is okay, okay. with both of you before starting anything there's also you can do artificial insemination before going to IVF which we tried so (laughs) emotionally what is that like I mean especially when you're at work I mean I don't know oh um it was tough every cycle that we didn't get pregnant once we were starting which I think is not really necessarily different for people going through assisted reproduction other than people who go through you know, natural cycle failures. I think it's a disappointment every mm-hmm. time you get your period and you were trying to get pregnant. I felt actually a little bit like there was more control over the process once we started IVF. I felt very calm emotionally while we were getting up to the point that you get your egg retrieval and then that's when you find out how things are going. And that's always a big shocker. So what was it like when you found out it worked. You're pregnant. Tell me about the day. Okay. The day I was pregnant. It was my birthday. <gasps> it was my 36th birthday. And they called me and told me that my I hadn't home tested. Okay, a lot of women will home test. And I did not. So Why? I, I, I just I figured it wouldn't make a difference. And that I could only end up disappointing myself. Because if it was positive, you still need to wait and see what the number is. Okay. It's, even if it's positive, it doesn't mean that it's going to be successful. Mm-hmm. And if it was negative... It may just mean that it's too early. So I didn't see that it was going to change things for me. They called me and told me I was pregnant. And then where things got difficult for us in my pregnancy was shortly thereafter for my first ultrasound. They told me it didn't look good, that it wasn't as far along as it should be. They thought it was going to be a blighted ovum, meaning there's a pregnancy without a baby. Oh. Basically. Okay. And, And you expect miscarriage. A couple days later, I was at work. And had a large amount of bleeding. And called them. They said, yeah, it sounds like probably you're miscarrying. The early pregnancy come in tomorrow will confirm it and you can stop your meds. And I came in the next day. And the first thing that happened was they did the ultrasound and said, yeah, looks like just blood in here. No baby. You can stop your meds. Sorry, we'll try again. Another cycle. And you turn the ultrasound a little bit. And all of a sudden, you could see a totally different picture come in. And there was the fetal pole and heartbeat. How and many like, oh, were Just you? kidding. This is extremely early. So the thing that's difficult about IVF is that you're going through the, is this going to be successful before when most women even know they're pregnant? So mm-hmm. uh, it was probably about six, seven weeks. Oh, okay. Yeah, extremely early, except the emotional stakes were already so high at that point. And from there on out, we were scared throughout my pregnancy. They put me on pelvic restrictions from day one, meaning no exercise. Okay, all right. I was going to say, I think I'm on that. Yeah, (laughs) you're you're on pelvic restrictions. (laughs) No intense exercise. 
Told or, me to go home and rest. Other things. You can work, but go home and rest. Yeah. 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 Other, things too, yes. <laughs> other things. I remember when the, when the doctor said that, I was like, so are we talking a, a week or... <laughs> And no, not until yeah. after. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> the very thing that got me into this situation, I'm not allowed to do. Yep. It's a yeah. cruel yeah. joke that the universe played on me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> At what point did you feel comfortable sharing the news with, uh, with friends and with family? If you're cautious and nervous about all of this. Uh, it was after my first ultrasound with the maternal fetal medicine specialist, mm-hmm. which is the high-risk pregnancy specialist. But also, they do the initial screening anatomic ultrasounds. Okay. So it was after that point when I knew that you know baby looked okay. Where is that? Maybe 12 to 14 weeks? I can't remember. I think mine wasn't until 20 weeks. Okay. I was so nervous, so I didn't really share it until that point. I mean, you're practicing medicine, Mm -hmm. but was there anything that was going on with your body that you did not realize until you were going through it? That pregnancy, what did pregnancy do to you? Uh, I definitely underestimated the fatigue that you experience in the first trimester because it really is astounding. (laughs) Yes. You know, it's hard to walk from your car to your office without sitting down somewhere in between and coming home and wanting to sleep. That was hard to get through, and I didn't expect that, even though I had friends who told me about it. I think I thought I would be stronger. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that was the that was the one thing that surprised me the most. I think I was always expecting to have some sort of medical complication with my pregnancy. Was there anything that you found yourself Googling? Oh, early on, absolutely. Especially back when they weren't certain if it was going to be a blighted ovum or not. I was Googling all the infertility forums. Did anybody have success with similar stories such as mine? And then beyond that, not too much. I have, rather than Google, as a physician, I have access to a pretty large social network of physicians. I don't know if they've mentioned the physician moms group to you before. No. Yeah, it's 70,000 female physicians. Almost any question anyone could ask has been asked there. So you can search through it or ask a question yourself regarding your pregnancy and get the answer from physicians. Sometimes okay. maybe OB-GYNs or other women physicians who've been in similar situations. And how long, did, was there any kind of a change that you made, because of the fatigue, was there any kind of a change that you made to do your work schedule? No. No? No. So you're still getting up at the crack of dawn and... Yeah, no, that was not an option. Okay, and as a general surgeon, so what do general surgeons do? Uh, so I operate <laughs> on anything in the abdomen that okay. isn't gynecologic, so... No uterus, ovaries. My specialty is not in the abdomen. It's thyroids Mm -hmm. and parathyroids. So I also do a lot of neck surgery and breast surgery. So anything that isn't lung, heart, bone, brain, pretty much falls under general surgery. One of my symptoms is... uh... It's not the fatigue like in the first trimester, but I think something that surprised me is my heart rate. So going up a flight of stairs, it feels mm-hmm. like I just did a one hour CrossFit. So how did you, being on your feet or doing this, how did you get through that? I felt okay. Really? Okay. Especially once I hit the, sec- uh, the second trimester. I felt fine until okay. the very end of the third trimester. And then how long were you working up till? Uh, up until a few days before my scheduled C-sections. <laughs> did you, yeah. um, did you have to make any accommodation for your tummy? No. How does that no. work? How are you doing surgery with your tummy in front of you? Um, it wasn't a problem. <laughs> a lot of our surgeries are done laparoscopically, meaning with small incisions in a camera. 
Okay. I don't do a lot of big open abdominal operations. Some surgeons who do, who did have to accommodate or stop as they got towards the latter parts of their pregnancy because they couldn't fit in between their retractors. And for my thyroids, for the next surgery, that did start to get difficult just because of the way I have to position myself and look up and over. I'm just imagining physically doing a surgery with a tummy. Yeah, I had to stop doing my thyroids probably around 36 weeks. And I had, oh, I said that my C-sections were 37 weeks. They were 39 weeks. I'm thinking. Really? Yeah. What was your work atmosphere like? Like, what were the the other surgeons that you worked with? How did they treat you or respond to you or your pregnancy? Or, I don't know. Didn't you have to, like, make... I mean, I'm finding myself running to the bathroom all the time and just saying, excuse ah. me. <laughs> um, yeah, everybody was supportive. I think... For surgeons, in some ways, that means treating you like you're normal, not making special accommodations or not expecting you to need them. But nobody had a problem if I needed to go to the bathroom. I I, I still don't have a problem with that. If I'm assisting somebody and I need to go to the restroom, yeah, that was fine. I needed more accommodations when I was pumping than when I was pregnant. Oh, I see. And they were supportive with that too are there many women with you working with you or there there are yeah okay we're a group of close to 12 and currently five women two of whom are mothers so i just wanted to ask about this physicians group for mothers Mm -hmm. is it some kind of a board where you can see the kinds of questions that people ask or it's just a regular facebook group i was just wondering if you noticed that if there was anything common that physicians tend to ask or no no no. No. It runs the gamut. Are, are physicians um, normal people? <laughs> uh, I, I think so. I think, it, I think it hits the a large swath of the No, population. I'm just teasing. Yeah. What I mean, I'm just wondering what would be, if maternity is different for somebody with a medical background, then let's just say, is there an advantage or a disadvantage to the rest of us? Oh, I think when it comes to social media, mm-hmm. you can skip through the woo what do you that mean? you see, the dangerous recommendations, the recommendations that aren't oh. based in scientific fact or have to do with people trying to sell you something. Yeah, so in, that's where it's pretty valuable to limit your pool. What would be an example of that? What's a, can you think of what's a can you think of a myth? Oh, sure. That I, okay. Oh, I okay. want to hear this. Essential oils, anti-vax stuff is everywhere. The anti-vax, yeah. I just... People I just give dangerous of, advice all over the internet. I heard that... Is it measles making a comeback in part yeah. because of... Okay, that's Absolutely. great. I think there's something... 7,000 cases in Samoa right now. What is the essential oil thing? <laughs> oh, people will try and sell it. And but what is it for? Give, uh, all kinds of touted health benefits but Mm -hmm. they can actually be quite dangerous for people they can have some medicinal value in general not necessarily with the person selling them or recommending them they can also cause a lot of side effects and worsens asthma you know i think it's either lavender or peppermint can cause breast development in young men can you think of another myth i'm trying to think of some sort of a bizarre thing that people do in pregnancy or that people, yeah, tout as, you know, oh. as truth, but it doesn't have any kind of a medical background. <laughs> Eating your placenta? Eating your placenta, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I think that's that's right. Um, People will say, "Oh yeah, it's got lots of nutrients births. in it." What is that? Mm, that's when you leave the child attached to the placenta for an extended period of time. Define extended. People do it for days sometimes. Oh my goodness. It's dangerous, attaching them to a dead organ. So, okay. There's toxins. Oh my God, okay. Bacteria. <laughs> to a but dead they're getting, organ. But they're getting nutrients. Okay. Supposedly. What is something that somebody should plan on packing for when they go to hospital for delivery <laughs> um large slippers especially with a c-section my feet swelled so much i could hardly even get them in my regular large slippers i could only wear flip-flops which are not very supportive or very large slippers and so maybe actually i'm gonna backtrack on that i would say those grippy socks but maybe nice grippy socks for a C-section, how long are you in hospital for that? Oh, I stayed almost as long as I could. I think I was there four or five days with the first one. She had to stay for the billy lights for jaundice. When babies oh, okay. are jaundice, they put them under the UV lights mm-hmm. for an extra day. So I stayed an extra day so I could be with her. And it was nice to have that support. It's not as comfortable as being at home. I will say that. But you have the nurses around you at a time that you feel pretty miserable. That is one thing I will say that I underestimated was the C-section recovery. Okay, so what was that like for you? You hear a lot of people saying, oh, it's nothing. And I think as a surgeon, I always ask about surgical history. And then women skip over that. They don't even mention it. So I interpreted that to mean, oh, they're not even counting it as a surgery because it wasn't a big deal. No, it's a major abdominal operation. It's, It's a real recovery. Some people bounce back right away. I felt pretty crappy for the first two weeks. I've been told it's hard to even walk upstairs. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to walk upstairs and carry the baby at the same time for the first week or so. It's not terrible. I was perfectly fine sitting on the couch. It's moving (laughs) and getting in Uh and out of bed was hard. My second one was much easier than the first one. You had two Mm -hmm. C-sections? Okay. And my legs swelled massively. I didn't have a lot of leg swelling in pregnancy. It happened after the C-section. What causes that? Uh, Fluid shifts. And how long does that stay? Uh, it stayed a little over two weeks for me. Really? Though so the second time it wasn't going down and I wasn't feeling well and I sort of blew off my symptoms and part of me said maybe I should get a blood pressure monitor and check my blood pressure. I hadn't had any problems in pregnancy with that or even during my post-C-section stay in L&D, but yeah, I had postpartum preeclampsia as it turns out. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. So giant slippers. Yeah, giant slippers. Um, for the surgery, who did you have in the room? Oh, uh, <laughs> it was like my doctor um, <laughs> and her partner uh-huh. and the anesthesiologist. That was, in my way, number one. They're the one protecting you. Uh, and my husband. And then there's the nurses and there's the NICU physician is usually there too. So what about diet after, like what kind of recommendations for the healing process after a C-section? Oh, diet. I just ate whatever I wanted. Okay. All right. That's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I ate right away. They tried mm-hmm. to stop me from eating a muffin, but it didn't happen. Okay. Was there any differences between the two pregnancies? Or oh, when yes. you got pregnant the second time, you're like, okay, I know, I know how this goes. 
Or was there another surprise? No, it was different. It was different. I think the first time I was so excited to be pregnant that any time I had something uncomfortable, I still relished in it because here I was finally pregnant. Uh, And the second time I was more uncomfortable, he was bigger. My abdominal muscles gave out more. So it it was actually harder to be physically active and then run after a toddler at the same time. Both my pregnancies were complicated by gestational diabetes. For the first, I took it really seriously. I went on a very healthy, restrictive diet, tight blood sugar control. The second one, I just didn't. I still ate at McDonald's all the time, and I forgot (laughs) to check my blood sugars, Uh and you know what? My control ended up similar. (laughs) I ended up on insulin both ways, and they both ended up healthy, so... What would be some advice that you would give to women in the in the workplace who were going through pregnancy? I don't know, to juggle both, to be able to, I mean, what is it like to be a pregnant working, pregnant professional? I don't know that anybody would want to hear the advice of a surgeon because we tend to not be very accommodating. And I think a lot of people do need accommodations. They want mm-hmm. to work less hours or take more breaks. And I think you should be able to do that if you need to. Yeah, It's just not the reality of the profession that I've chosen. Mm-hmm. It's not part of our culture. So it was important for me to keep chugging as though I was superwoman and I didn't feel any differently. And I think the thing that helped me out the most to be able to achieve that was in neither pregnancy did I have any nausea or vomiting. Oh, you're lucky. Yeah. I think that would have been really hard because you're operating. Right. Yeah. I didn't have to vomit. I'd get vaguely nauseated, but it yeah. wasn't a big deal. I felt like I was going to, but I never did. But there were times I, I have, a, and depends on the time of day, but the, a commute. And there's a couple times when I was driving and I thought, oh no, mm-hmm. oh no, what do I do? I'm on the freeway. I don't know what I'm going to do. But fortunately, it never happened. I never puked in the car. I imagine that in the operating room, <laughs> especially when you're trying to hide the pregnancy and then you have to run out. So mm-hmm. I was really lucky that I didn't have to. It ain't patients, people who saw, oh, okay, my surgeon is pregnant. Did Were there any responses from patients? Uh, Yeah, I think sometimes when you're the call surgeon and you're showing up at 10 p.m. at the bedside with a giant belly and they take one look at you and you could see they're thinking seriously. <laughs> is she is she prepared to do this? Uh-huh. <laughs> they look scared. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That was the most I got from people. And then towards the end of my pregnancy, I I think I did have some people who went to other partners in my practice because they were afraid about whether a very pregnant woman would be able to handle taking care of them. I think some of them were maybe rightly worried that I could go into labor when their surgery was scheduled. I did lighten up my load towards the end because you never know when you might go into labor. And I really didn't want to have a lot of cancer patients on my schedule that could potentially get canceled. So I did book smaller operations, things that maybe one of my partners could cover for me at the last minute Mm -hmm. or could be delayed without hurting their care. Did you talk about birth plans with anybody? No. I don't know what any of these things are. Well, that's good. Birth plans are not worth it. What is a birth plan? Uh, Women are showing up with 40-page plans to their OB. Like, you won't do this. I won't have episiotomies. I will be able to eat during labor. I want soft music playing, lights. I want this person in there. I want to be able to bounce on a ball. I don't want an IV. That's what a birth plan is? I thought it was what you packed to go to the hospital. No, no, no. <laughs> no people are showing up with these. 
That's massive a- birth plans that have no founding in reality. That seems to be indicative of there's this cultural shift of not respecting expertise. Yes. And, <laughs> and what I think is happening is that going in and telling the doctor what treating the physician like a servant instead of an expert. Mm-hmm. I think with regards to pregnancy, it's also a period of time in a woman's life where they really don't have control and people are trying to gain control of it, but that's not the appropriate way to gain control. And you don't have you don't have control <laughs> over, <laughs> over what happens. I had no idea that's what a birth plan is. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thank you. <laughs> it's good. Your OB must love you. <laughs> we should just disclose that you are uh, that your husband is the transit whisperer. Yeah. And um, between you and me, does he talk about transportation in his sleep? No, he does <laughs> talk about it a lot. I don't in general. It. <laughs> He doesn't talk in his sleep at all. <laughs> but he does talk about transportation. He's always trying to say, oh, I know it's boring. You think it's boring. It's like, no, it's not boring. It's interesting. It's it is interesting. interesting. Okay. All right. Well, Dr. Madoran, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you have any stories about maternity that you would like to share, please get in touch. Good is in the details pod at gmail.com or any ideas for future episodes or if you'd like to sponsor a show. And we're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash details. I will put a link in the show notes and there you get extra stuff and you can also learn how to support the show. We're on Instagram, pod, and we also have a Facebook page. There will be a part four to the series, but if I hear from some listeners of some good stories that we should get into, please let me know and we'll make this series go longer. Okay, until next time. Bye.